Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. Pharmacists to care. And good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Kathy Kaler, and this is the Discam Medical Monday show, where I get to speak to some of the world's top experts in their fields. And um, I want to tell you, I'm going to start off by telling you a little story. I've got a friend. He's uh, I actually thought that he was 52, but he is 51 years old. And um, he went for his annual checkup. And, uh, you know, I wanted to check that everything's fine and everything was fine. Uh, his prostate r- results came back a little bit, you know, there was something, it could be nothing, it could be, you know, often, uh, even with women with pap, pap smears, it could be something, it could not, and the doctor dismissed it, said no. But he had this niggling little feeling. You know, he's, he's a, he's like a typical, uh, you know, male, northern suburbs male, I suppose, if you want to call him that. But uh, he likes everything to be 100%. And so he's got a friend in Israel who is an oncologist, and uh, he sent off his results to the oncologist, and the oncologist said, you definitely have to get a second opinion, you need to get it checked out. Turns out that he had uh, early stages of cancer in his prostate, which was unfortunately dismissed by the very first doctor, not because he's not qualified, but because of the idea around prostate cancer that it is an old man's disease. And uh, it really isn't. And so we have invited into studio Dr. Marisa Tunmer. She's an oncologist. She practices at the Donald Gordon. Um, And we're talking about prostate cancer. It is very, very important. We're talking about, uh, you know, it being diagnosed in early, earlier, especially in younger men. So uh, if you've got any questions, if you've got any, you're welcome to get in touch with me anonymously. Welcome to do that. Let me give you the details. If you've got any questions, if you've got any comments, then uh, make a note of these numbers. The SMS line is 34519. Those SMSs are charged at one rand fifty. The WhatsApp and the Telegram numbers zero six one eight nine five one oh one nine. You can also email on air at highfm.com and you can also uh yeah, I think those are really the ways to get in touch. So uh welcome to it. I'd like to welcome my guest Dr. Marisa Tunma. Uh Welcome, hi, and thank you so much. And hi to your listeners, and thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for making time to come. Um, quite a scary story, because things mm-hmm. could have turned out very, very differently for this friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just because he is a perfectionist, and he likes everything to be 100%. I mean, he's, if you don't trust your doctor, who do you trust? Mm-hmm. Um, why is there this perception around prostate cancer being an old man's disease? So firstly, it's, it is important to note that there are many elderly men who do develop prostate cancer. So in many cases it is. But at the same time, there are also cases whereby it's diagnosed in younger patients and then it's often more aggressive. And it's certainly not anything that should be ignored. So yes, it is an aging, it is a disease of aging men in general, but that doesn't mean it's only found in older men. And we should identify those cases um, in, in younger cases so that those can be managed adequately. 
Okay, because obviously with mm. a younger man, depending on his lifestyle, mm. his status of health, he's got mm. a longer life, life expectancy, expectancy than exactly. say, a 95-year-old exactly. man. Exactly, exactly. Okay, he's and also got diabetes and yes, whatever. Yes, okay. exactly. So what's really important when it comes to prostate cancer and the management of prostate cancer is to individualize and to not only take aspects about the disease into account, because obviously it depends on the stage and how aggressive the disease is, the personality of the disease. There are multiple factors based on the disease that are taken into account. But at the same time, you should also take into account patient factors. And and that is where age and general condition and other comorbidities and other conditions like hypertension, sugar diabetes, cholesterol, all those things come into play so that you can make the best treatment decision for that individual patient. How can you tell if a if a cancer is aggressive or if it's not? So it's usually, um, there's certain aspects we look at either on the blood test, the PSA level could give us, could guide us and give us some information. Then there are also features that the pathologist assesses under the microscope and there are quite a number of factors that we look at and which determines aggressiveness of disease. So the common words that are usually used is something called a Gleason score and if one has a high Gleason score that points towards something being, being more aggressive. There are also other features under the microscope like the differentiation and other features um, which us which we look at as doctors. What does a Gleason score measure? So it looks at the differentiation. How many you have? No. Ten. <laughs> so from um, up to ten, and basically if it's six or less, it's considered low-risk disease. If it's seven, then it's considered intermediate. And if it's eight, nine, or ten, it's considered high-risk. But that's a very broad definition. There are also intricacies to the Gleason score, and it's certainly not the only thing we look at. There are other features too. So you may, for example, have a lower Gleason score, but your PSA count might be 30 or 40, and then the the blood count would put you into a higher risk group. Okay, so, so let's just go through these mm, tests. What does PSA sure. stand for? Prostate-specific antigen, okay. and that is the blood test that your GP or your urologist would do to basically as a kind of screening test to see what your level is. And if this is elevated for your particular age group, that may point towards um, a, a potential problem, which may need to be investigated further. So usually in most cases, the PSA is less than um, about four to six, depending on so the patient's So that's a normal age. scale? Yes. Okay, it would be four to six. Mm. Okay. But it depends on the age. Okay, so an mm. eight-year-old with a four to six is probably okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, that being said, we always have to say probably. Nothing in medicine is ever black or white. There are right. always little shades of gray in between. Yes. And one does sometimes get a prostate cancer, which doesn't cause the PSA count to go up. Now, that's fortunately not the most common kind, and it's fortunately quite rare. But ultimately, you've got to keep that in the back of your mind. But generally speaking, usually for prostate cancers, the most common thing that happens is that the PSA count starts to go up. Okay, um, let's just get back to this Gleason score. Mm. Can a healthy person have a Gleason score, or is it only does it measure it's, disease specifically? It's, it's it, when they do a prostate biopsy, and if they see a cancer on that prostate biopsy, then they would measure a Gleason score. 
So it's usually not measured in normal tissues. All, all cancers have glycine no, scores, no, don't they? No, no, just prostate cancer. Only prostate yes, cancer. That's yes. interesting. So it just shows how each cancer is different. And Gosh. each cancer's got different things that one looks at. Okay. First time I heard Gleason's score, I was reading a book this weekend, and uh, she refers to her husband's cancer. Mm. And uh, the first time I heard Gleason's score, and here mm. it is right again. Yes. Um, all right. Let's talk about the, the prostate. Let's talk about mm. the physiology. Mm. Where is it located in the in the body? I just want to make sure that I don't have it by the end of this Medical Monday, because often when we speak about Alzheimer's, I am convinced that I have Alzheimer's. When we speak about diabetes, I'm convinced I have diabetes. So I just want to make sure and rule out that I do not have prostate. Any problem. So in men, which is a good start, it is the prostate gland is a small, they call it a walnut-sized gland in general, um, is how, how textbooks tend to describe it, at the base of the bladder. And the urethra, which uh, is the pipe that um, f- through which uh, urine travels uh, yes. through the um, to the to the outside of the body, uh, the urethra travels through the prostate. So it's basically a little gland sitting at the base of the bladder, and the urethra goes through it. What does it do? So it's um, some of the. Uh, fluids produced by the prostate gland um, make up part of the ejaculate, and uh, so there's certain physiological functions that the that the that the fluids of the prostate gland have. Okay, and uh, it's obviously essential essential in every man, but it's. Um, it is essential, especially. <laughs> this is a difficult one. No, no, no. I'm, I'm getting my it's head around. It's essential in younger men. Yeah. But um, as one ages, it's not as essential anymore. However, the the tricky things about the prostate is its anatomy, and the and we'll probably be discussing this in more depth later on when we get to the surgical aspects of of prostate cancer. But why it's it's not just easy to remove and live without is because of nerves and blood vessels that are close to the to the prostate. And of course because the urethra goes through yes, the prostate. Yes. If you remove that yes. then you kind of you're taking away yes. a big part you're of the You're changing many anatomical mechanics. Yes. And uh, anatomical structures that are important for different physiological functions in okay. men. What mm. are the symptoms? So sometimes we were discussing this earlier, sometimes um, prostate cancers may be asymptomatic and that's often I hate things that are asymptomatic. I find them terrifying. Mm-mm. So, okay, so it might be, and, and your Especially only symptoms might be stages. your test results from your annual, yes, from yes, your annual medical. Yes. So, in early stages, it may be completely asymptomatic. Sometimes there are urinary symptoms like urgency, where one really needs to go, feel the urge you're not going to make it to the toilet, um, nocturia, which means getting up at night, frequency meaning to go more often, straining, whereby it feels as if you can't get all the urine out. There are a whole lot of uh, urological symptoms which may develop, but unfortunately there are also benign conditions like um, something called BPH, which is benign prostatic hypertrophy, and that's a non-malignant condition, but it also causes the prostate to enlarge in in older men or in men as they age, and that may also cause those symptoms. So what is important to know is just because you're having some urinary symptoms doesn't necessarily mean that you need to panic because it might just as well be a benign problem. But certainly if you're having any symptoms that are bothering you 
And if anything doesn't settle, and that's the rule for all of us, any symptoms that that doesn't settle and that worries you needs to be checked out. You were saying that uh, the prostate gland is very, very important in terms of um, producing ejaculate, Mm. right? Would, um, you know, often women can pick up cervical cancer by Mm. checking on their menstruation and and Mm. the cycles and knowing that this is there's just something different. Mm-hmm. Something's not right. Um, there might be a discharge or whatever the mm-hmm. case may be. But with um, ejaculate, would there not be a change in ejaculate if there's a problem with the prostate? Not really. So that's, again, something tricky. In some men, there may be. And it's certainly difficult to tell. It's difficult to tell. Yeah. This is not something that's that's similar to uh, cervical cancer whereby you're getting a discharge or, you, or you're bleeding. Unfortunately, it's not so easy to tell a difference. Um, in their ejaculate, so that is a uh, an additional. Um, I suppose in most cases, struggle. men don't even see the ejaculate, so they wouldn't know. So exactly, yeah. so that's not not something uh, to go on. Okay, mm. so uh, really, the best thing is your PSA blood mm. test. Mm. That is the first. That it's is a the starting first point, and then also an examination. Okay. So, um, the the examination that all men fear. <laughs> That finger test, yeah. um, but it is still an important component of a, a general checkup. And um, so, if if you're at your doctor and he feels that he should do it, then one one should have that done because that can give you an idea about any increase in in size of the prostate. It could give you an idea about suspicious nodules or suspicious areas of the prostate, and then those certainly need to be investigated further and biopsied. But uh, but basically the starting point is usually a PSA and a good general examination with a prostate exam, rectal exam. Okay, Sam, thank you so much for your for your message. Uh, Sam wants to know: Can cycling irritate the prostate? That's a great question. That's thank you. I don't know whether Sam's a male or female, but I think that's a fantastic question. That's a controversial question and a difficult one. But I'd say um, no. Uh, what it can do is one could get some inflammation of the little tubes and that could lead to uh, 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 prostatitis. But I wouldn't say that that's one of the leading causes of of prostate problems. So it's possible, but not, not one of the common things. Would it be things. very painful? Sometimes the inflammation is painful. So, again, if you're having a new symptom that's not settling, rather go have it checked out because usually an inflammation is painful. Okay, so uh, all right. If you if you've got any questions, any comments, join the discussion. My guest is Dr. Marisa Tunma. She's an oncologist. She practices at the Donald Gordon. Um, it's a Donald Gordon Hospital, right? The well, Medi- Donald Gordon Medical, Medical Center. Medical Center. There yes, we go. Thanks. We're talking about prostate cancer, and I know it sounds very strange to have two women talking about prostate cancer, but you know what? Sometimes we care more about the men in our lives and their health than they do. Right, because men are guys are like nah, unless it's man flu, then then it's worse than childbirth, as we all know. Um, but you know, if you've got questions, if you've got concerns, then get in touch with us, because my guest is really she is exactly the person to answer your questions. How do you get in touch? Three four five one nine. That's a text line. You can also WhatsApp or Telegram on zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Kathy Kayla, and this is the Discam Medical Monday. We're talking about 
prostate cancer. My guest is Dr. Marisa Tunma. She's an oncologist. She practices at the Witz Donald Gordon Medical Center. Did I get that right? Okay, good. And uh, we are talking about prostate cancer. Even though we are two women, we do love and cherish the men in our lives. And I think that it's very important because as women, we can multitask. And guys can also, you know, often men are like, meh. No, we've got more important things to do, and we need to take responsibility for that as well. So, uh, I started off by telling telling you the story of this 51 year old friend of mine who went for his his annual checkup, his PSA test. That is the prostate specific antigen mm. test. Yes, that's right. Came back, and that was uh, highly. It was slightly elevated, and the and his GP kind of just. Dismissed it out of hand, but he, being a perfectionist, said that he wanted he wanted to know what it was and why it was elevated. And he sent his results to a friend of his in Israel, who's an oncologist. And this friend of his said, "You need to have it checked out, and you need to go and get a second opinion." Gave him a, the contact details for uh, for a doctor here, and he ended up having his prostate removed. We're going to talk about surgery, and we're going to talk about life after having your prostate removed. Before that, though. Um, you know, there is this perception around it being an old man's disease, and it's really not. Um, while many uh, older men, I think, I think you're at higher risk from what age? Well, as as men age, <coughs> as men age, the risks for prostate cancer Increase. increases. There were some studies where they did post mortem examinations on on patients that had died from other causes, and they, and in a percentage of those patients, they found early prostate cancers, which had never caused any trouble. Right. So certainly the older men get, the higher the risk of developing a prostate cancer, but it is certainly not only a disease of of, of older men. Right, and something mm-hmm. that you said earlier is depending on, on the person's life expectancy, mm-hmm. if they are healthy, if they, mm-hmm. if they are living well and they've got no other health issues, mm-hmm. it's worth treating. Mm-hmm. If... You, you're dealing with a 90-year-old man who's got mm-hmm. diabetes, who's got early, well, it wouldn't even be early, he's got like the early stages of dementia or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Chances are very, very good that the, the prostate cancer is going to outlive mm-hmm. outlive mm-hmm. him and it's not going to cause him any trouble. So it's so not worth the anxiety. What causes. we actually say is that men will die with their cancer, not from their cancer. And that's an important concept to understand because if a prostate cancer is not going to cause a trouble, is not going to cause trouble in a, a man, then it's not worth going through all the morbidity of treatment because no treatment is without risk. So one really needs to weigh the risks versus the benefits. And certainly in younger men who are well and healthy and have a long life expectancy, it tends to favor earlier treatment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when one looks at, at uh, breast cancer, you know, there's this BRCA2 gene, mm. which is uh, f- predominantly women in the Jewish community from Eastern mm. European descent. Um, is there a specific uh, demographic or a, I suppose, risk group mm. for prostate cancer? So interestingly enough, the BRCA is a risk factor for prostate cancer as well. And now if one is uh, discussing with, uh, with a patient and you're going through your family history, it's not just about having a f- brother or a father who had prostate cancer, especially at a younger age, less than 60 or so, but it's also about whether you have female family members who may have had ovarian cancer 
breast cancer, even other cancers such as pancreatic cancer, endometrial cancer, because those could be pointing towards a BRCA, the BRCA1 or BRCA2 or different um, familial syndromes. Even though the overall percentage is quite small in the general population, most cancers are sporadic. One certainly has to see the red, red flags going up if there is a family member, even of women who've had breast cancer in your family. It's so interesting. A lot of women, you know, within the Jewish community um, who come from Eastern European lineage and their mother and their aunt both died from breast cancer, they will go and they will have the BRCA2 mm. test and then opt for um, mm. Um, um, you know, surgery, a mastectomy, yeah, whatever, whatever it is, um, and I think that Angelina Jolie actually did a lot to kind of make mm. that acceptable and bring it into the mm. fore when she mm. had hers. Is there such a test for men? So the bracket testing can also be done on on men, and that's why it's important to not only be thinking of one side of the family. Don't only think of the men in the family. Also, need to think about the woman in your family when you go to your doctor. And, the same gene trying, because it's the same gene. Hmm. Gosh, that's yeah. interesting. But once again, I have to stress it's a small small percentage of the overall cancers that occur. Are okay, so what, let's go familiar. through the actual different risk groups mm. outside of BRCA2. Mm, mm. Who so are, family who are history. Okay, so, so you've got to look at your family yep. history. Cancer on both male and female. Especially a first-degree relative is always any, any relative, so sometimes second-degree as well, but first-degree would be your fam- your parents and your siblings. So if you have a father or a brother who had prostate cancer, especially if they're younger than 60, um, because, again, you could have a father who has prostate cancer when he's 85 or 90, and then it's in all likelihood a sporadic cancer that just started. But if you if your brother or your father had prostate cancer at 50 or 55, then that certainly should make little red flags go off. And then, as I mentioned, other um, female family members with other malignancies, a race also plays a role. And we know that in African-American, in the studies, African-American patients often have more aggressive disease and younger um, and are younger at presentation. So those are the main things we look for. So African-American, more um, prolific within that community and and more aggressive. And often more aggressive, yeah. How does that relate to South Africa? Do we have any stats for, well, for South Africa? less data. We always have less data. But of the data that we have, it does seem as if there's also um, a, a higher risk factor and aggressiveness with, in our black patients. From what age should men be checking their prostates or having their prostates checked? As with everything, now it needs to be individualized. But anything from about 40, 45, you need to go and have your discussion with your doctor. And... I do not believe that every man who is 45 should be having a PSA test, but it does depend on your individual risk. And that's the same with uh, breast cancers and mammograms. There's no one-size-fits-all anymore. You need to go to your doctor and have a discussion, and then together you need to, to decide what is best in your case. But from about 45... Thereabouts. It's interesting when mm. when you say you know see your doctor. I mean GPs today mm. are becoming your health managers. Mm. You know you see your GP. Okay, we're going to send you to the specialist, and it mm. kind of all comes back to the one person. Mm. Very interesting. Like a gatekeeper, but that's yeah, also important because because he knows your history, he knows you, he knows your family. Exactly. With everything becoming so specialized, it is important to have one person who 
oversees everything and who can coordinate. Yeah, and sort out mm. your health. Mm. Yeah, as you say, coordinate. Mm. All right, um, we were talking about, okay, so we've spoken about the different risk groups. Um, we've, you've mentioned that, you know, especially if there's a bracket two or African-American population, which would be basically the South African black population, mm. that you need to be aware of it. as it is mm. a cancer that you mm. certainly need to be aware of. Um, can we talk about diagnosis? Mm. All right. So uh, you've gone, you've had your annual checkup, you've had your examination, your PSA test, which is the prostate so what's it? Prostate. PSA, yes. Yep. <laughs> your yeah. PSA, right? Yes. Um, which is your prostate-specific uh, antigen. Antigen, antigen yes. Um, that's come back slightly elevated. What do you do then? So there, there are a couple of other par- parameters that the doctor may look at. So you may look at how quickly... And this is your GP? It could be a GP or it could be a urologist if the GP uh, refers you okay. if he's uncertain. Or, of course, a physician as well. A general physician. If there are certain um, parameters such as, or there, there are certain other, we call it PSA kinetics that, that we look at. So we see how quickly it's increasing. If it is increasing, sometimes a urologist would also measure the volume of the prostate. And then there are certain ratios that they use to calculate an individual's risk. And then based on that, they may make a decision to do a prostate biopsy. So that is basically how prostate cancer is diagnosed. Just having an increased PSA on its own is not a diagnosis of cancer because there are some other things that do also really cause a PSA to to increase. So a biopsy is the only way to know for sure that there is certainly a prostate cancer confirmed. When women need to have, uh, you know, we go for our annual mammograms, Right from a certain age, especially if there's a history, it'll be when you're younger. But uh, we have mammograms to make sure that everything is okay with our girls. What is there not a scan or an, um, a uh, an ultra an ultrasound, ultrasound. that mm-hmm. can be done with men in the same way, so that it's more uh, prophylactic and it's more preventative than or early diagnosis then kind of waiting for symptoms to appear. So not really from an imaging point of view. We don't have a mammogram. We don't have ultrasound-based screening for prostate cancers. Really, the, the thing one should be looking at is the blood test. And the blood test. Mm. Okay. That's what's used most often. All right. There you go. Um, so now you've gone to your doctor. He puts you on to an oncologist. Mm. Or a urologist or is often urologist. the first port of call. Okay. Depends. All right. And um, what is an oncologist like yourself going to tell going to tell a patient? So one has to take all these aspects that I mentioned earlier into account. One has to look at the full histology reports and see what are you dealing with. And then one makes a decision um, regarding the next steps of investigation. So in some patients who have, for example, high PSA counts, so over 20, sometimes even over 10 if the Gleason scores are so high, you may decide that you need another test called a bone scan to ensure that the cancer hasn't already moved into the bones. So that would be called one of your staging investigations. Then if that's clear, a urologist may also consider doing an MRI scan of the pelvis as that gives him the best possible anatomical definitions for if he's planning surgery to see 
where in the prostate is the cancer. Sometimes it's not diffuse. Sometimes the entire prostate isn't involved, and sometimes there's just a small nodule. And then a urologist can plan if surgery is feasible and if it's possible and if it's safe. And sometimes if there's any equivocal um, findings on these scans and there's something that we're uncertain about, one might even do a fancy scan called a PMSA PET scan. And that gives a person further information about the body. And that's the problem with medicine. Again, nothing's black and white. You've got to put these pieces of the puzzle together. It's very much bespoke for every single patient and every single cancer. Because as you were saying earlier, is that not all prostate cancers are the same. Exactly. You get some that will have a low PSA score. You have some that are aggressive. You get some that are Mm non-aggressive. You get some that might be a nodule. You might have, you know, the whole prostate that that is Mm -hmm. cancerous. So. And sometimes we even see different personality groups within the same prostate. So you'll have certain tumors that are one Gleason and certain other areas of the prostate that are another Gleason. So it's very interesting that there can be different personalities even within the same patient. At, at what point do you recommend removing the prostate? So once you've been through these <coughs> investigations and should there not be any evidence of spread elsewhere, which is called distant metastases, then a urologist would evaluate and see if, if surgery is safe and if it's feasible. Now with prostate cancers that are um, localized, in other words, no spread, there are a number of options. And this is what you need to discuss with your urologist and with your oncologist because you may opt to have a radical prostatectomy whereby the prostate is removed or you may opt to have radiotherapy. And when one's talking about radiotherapy, there are different options. There's something called brachytherapy whereby small seeds are implanted into the prostate permanently. Don't you love technology? Yeah. And then you also get your usual external radiation, which is done over a number of weeks. Um, Sometimes you get combinations of brachytherapy and external beam radiation, and the two are done together. Sometimes lymph nodes are covered in the pelvis, sometimes they're not. Sometimes lymph nodes are removed by the urologist at the time of surgery, sometimes they're not. So there are quite a few treatment options, and that's why it's so important to individualize because you really have to go through what the the different options are that are safe and then what the different side effects are. And a patient then has to decide what what side effects they would be willing to accept. To live with. Especially if there are two treatment modalities that have similar outcomes. What does that mean? So um, if if one knows that surgery is always the best option and then one would go for that first but in prostate cancer we often know or we, we know that there are different options you could have in in terms of cancer outcome so in c- terms of curing the cancer and taking the cancer away you could have surgery or you could have radiation and both give good prognosis good outcomes good tumor control yeah in, and good cure rates, but with different side effects. What is the cure rate for, for prostate cancer? It depends. It depends what you're dealing with. It depends with. Uh, it depends on the individual's profile. So we so. don't have any stats on that. But That's generally, the earlier the stage, the better. And what we we are very lucky that prostate cancers are responsive, and we have many lines of treatment. Even in patients who have metastases, whereby it's spread to the bone, and by definition, it's stage four. And it's a it's a field that's rapidly changing, and 
basically on a monthly basis we have new drugs that are being um, uh, approved. And so many patients may live for years with a, even a stage 4 disease. So, of course, the earlier the better and the lower the features such as the prostate count and the Gleason score, all of those things will put you into a category. And obviously the lower your risk category, the better your prognosis and the better your chances of cure. Um, but ultimately it depends on a case-by-case basis. But there are many treatment options, and usually for many years, for most patients. How long is a surgery to remove the prostate? I'm not a urologist. Okay, all right. <laughs> so but also it would probably to, depend yeah. because some people and it's going to take longer. Traditionally long they've done open procedures, and now they're also using robotic surgery, um, which is – um, practiced in different, there are a couple of units in the country that now have the robot, which is very exciting. Do we have it here? In Johannesburg and Pretoria and in Cape Town. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's only the ones I know about. There may be more. Yes. So that's a question for a urologist, unfortunately. I can't answer. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. Fully understandable. A <laughs> couple of hours. What are the implications of having your prostate removed? How will a man's life change? Will he still have a sex drive? Will he still uh, be able to ejaculate? I mean, it's it's a weird question, Mm -hmm. but Mm. I think that it's an interesting question. So that's one of the bigger concerns that men have when it comes to both surgery and radiotherapy. Apart from the usual post-operative complications, such as a bit of pain and a bit of bleeding and a small risk of infection and all those things that can be addressed, if the nerves that run next to the prostate are damaged, then your risk of having erectile dysfunction are high. Now, in good hands, the the, um, the rates are, well, obviously surgery is more successful and, and there are many very experienced urologists that practice nerve-sparing prostatectomies where they attempt to to preserve the nerves. But the rates vary and sometimes it can be as high as two-thirds of patients who will struggle with erectile dysfunction afterwards. Um, so that is a debilitating quality of life issue, and it needs to be discussed with a patient. And that's also why it's important to go to to see a specialist who uh, commonly performs these procedures yeah. so that they have experience, because in good hands, of course, the rates of, of problems are less. But ultimately, what is important to know as well, it doesn't help you go in to remove a cancer and you cut through it. You, know, you must either take it all out or or you shouldn't be doing it. So, Okay, good point. Good point. Um, Terry says uh, she's heard that she, he, sorry, Terry, I don't know whether you're male or female. Vasectomies cause prostate cancer. I d- we don't have good evidence for that, so I wouldn't be concerned about that. A vasectomy is a procedure whereby they um, cut the tubes to sterilize the patient and we don't have any sort of high level evidence that that would be a cause of prostate cancer. There you go. If you want to have that vasectomy go and do it. Um, Can you have a baby after you've had prostate cancer? So uh, the tricky question. That's a good question, though. <laughs> <laughs> when you take into account all the anatomical changes and physiological changes that occur afterwards, I would say no. But I guess nothing's ever impossible. But certainly the difficulties that come with erections following the surgery, it may one may not have the same 
same sex drive yeah. or the same abilities, yeah. especially if the body's not producing ejaculate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In the same way that it did before. Yeah, in the same yeah. way that it did before. Yeah. So maybe also something a urologist would be able to yeah. delve um, deeper into. So what would somebody do? I mean, would they would they freeze their sperm before before That's they embark on, on That's treatment? That's an option. Yes. That's an option. There are sperm banks. And especially also for our younger patients. Usually it's not something that a 70-year-old or an 80-year-old would be considering if they've completed their family. But certainly, again, each individual needs to have his or her preferences taken into account. Aside from the genetic component, mm. uh, the BRCA2, or mm. if you fall into the African-American group, mm. which would be the African group, mm, which mm, has got mm. a particularly aggressive form of prostate mm. cancer, what do we have any indication of what the cause is of prostate the biggest, cancer? The biggest um, cause is just that we are human and we've got cells that are changing and we are aging. That is that is the cause. The and biggest sometimes risk they factor change for all normally of us, and sometimes they change abnormally. Exactly, and usually many of our cells in our bodies will undergo changes and become abnormal. And usually our bodies have good ways of screening for these changes and picking them up and fixing them, or either destroying the cell or Correcting the mistake, but as we age, those screening mechanisms become become slower and inefficient, and that's why usually with aging, sometimes some of these cellular changes slip through, and then one develops a cell that does not die the way it should when it is abnormal, and if that cell then starts to divide and divide and divide and divide, that's how you end up getting a malignant cell. That's such a good explanation. <laughs> My guest is Dr. Marisa Tanma. She's an oncologist. We're talking about prostate cancer, in case you didn't know. And uh, she practices at the Vitz Donald Gordon Medical Center. If you want to get in touch, if you've got any comments, any questions, you want to join the conversation, you know, you can post for a partner. You can post a question to my guest or pose a question to my guest. Um, You know, you can do it anonymously. Just put anon. Just sign it anon. And uh, how do you do that? 34519, that's a text line. You can also WhatsApp or Telegram. Send us a Telegram message or a WhatsApp message on 61 This is a Discam Medical Monday, and I'm Kathy Kayla. Thank you for joining me. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. Pharmacists to care. Good morning, and uh, thank you so much for uh, staying tuned on 101.9 High FM. I'm Kathy Kayla, and this is the Discam Medical Monday. Thank you so much, Discam. My guest today is uh, Dr. Marisa Tanma. She is an oncologist. She practices at the Vitz Donald Gordon Medical Center. We've been talking about prostate cancer, and uh, I actually started off saying that. A friend of mine, he's 51 years old. He got, he went for his annual medical. He got his PSA results back. They were slightly, very, very slightly elevated. His doctor said, don't worry about it. He's a perfectionist. He said, if it's slightly elevated, I want to know. Okay, he's not a perfectionist. He's neurotic. But uh, it's a good thing because it probably saved his life. Um, he sent off his results to a friend of his um, in Israel, the friend who's a who's an oncologist said, you have to go and get a second opinion on this. He did. Subsequently, he's had his prostate removed. We've been talking about prostate cancer. And, and that's, I suppose, the number one fallacy about 
prostate cancer is that it's known as an old man's disease and it is not. Um, I was actually saying to, uh, to Dr. Tanma before the show is that for years and years and years, 10 years, I've been doing radio, so it must be, I don't know, the Movember campaign I think has been going for about four or five years. Movember is a, it's a, it's an awareness campaign to get men to go and have their prostates checked. And most of the experts that I have spoken to, in fact, none of them have contradicted and said, you know, that it's not an old man's disease, you know, and that it's okay because as you get older, you're definitely going to develop prostate cancer and then it's not worth treating because you will die with cancer, not from cancer, um, as you said earlier. But that's really, it's not. There are other markers. There are other signs that you need to look for um, if you missed the first part of the show. So... Um, you know, some some prostate cancers can be asymptomatic. Cancer is as, as diverse and as different as human beings are. Um, so it may be asymptomatic, but if it's asymptomatic, your PSA levels are most likely going to be elevated. Um, you might have urinary symptoms. It'll feel like you need to go to the loo, and then you can't go to the loo. Right, you've you've just you've got empty empty bladder, um, straining or this sense of urgency, like you've got to go now 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 now. Waking up in the middle of the night to go to to go and make a pee. So, yeah, I just said that on radio. I apologise. <laughs> Anyhow, so um, go and check it out. You should be having your annual annual checkup anyway, which will unfortunately require that examination. That one that men just don't want to do But you know what, it could save your life And there are people in your life who really love you And care about you and want you around So go and do it for them Don't do it for yourself Okay um, Dr. Tanna Can we talk about uh, Alright, firstly I went and I looked up some myths Okay And uh, one of the myths around prostate cancer is sexual activity increases the risk of developing prostate cancer. Is that true? No, it's not true. And in fact, there's even a little bit of evidence that regular ejaculations decreases the risk a little bit. Really? A little bit of evidence, but it's there. (laughs) Okay, so healthy sex life. Okay. Um, One of the other myths is that surgery and radiation are the best way to treat prostate cancer. There's something called active surveillance. Mm. What is active surveillance? So as I alluded to earlier, not every prostate cancer needs to be treated and it depends on many different features related to the disease and the stage and it also depends on many features related to the patient. And depending on which risk group one falls into, whether it's as as a very basic guideline, a low-risk group, an intermediate-risk group, or a high-risk group, and your age and other comorbidities such as hypertension, heart attack, strokes, other things that you may have had. If your life expectancy is anything from 5 years to even 20 years, there are certain patients whereby you may opt not to do any treatment, so where one doesn't go for surgery or one doesn't go for radiation, but one actively monitors, and that's why it's called active surveillance, to assess how the disease changes, whether it becomes more aggressive or whether it's just going to be one of those types that the person would have died of in w- would have died with, not from. from. And then you could potentially save a patient all the morbidity 
of surgery and radiation because there are many side effects to any treatment. So the rationale is if one has got a very low-risk, slow-growing cancer that's not going to cause any trouble, you can watch that one. And if it's not going to cause any trouble ever, you may get away without treatment. But why it's called active surveillance is because it's not just ignoring the patient and not just saying off you go and one day when you have bone pain because it's spread into the bones then come visit me again and we'll talk then it's it's monitoring with a prostate counts every 6 to 12 months and usually doing an examination a prostate exam every 6 to 12 months and a biopsy usually once a year but, but that's only, only once the gleason has shown that this is a very slow growing yes non usually Usually, but you may even have a slightly more aggressive tumor in a 90-year-old patient who's had numerous heart attacks and numerous strokes, and he's unlikely to f- to survive another five years. You may opt or even to, the surgery to remove to, the prostate. Yes, yes. If a patient's not fit for surgery, yeah. so it depends. But generally, the more aggressive cancers in younger patients should be treated. Those are the ones we want to be finding. The less aggressive cancers in older patients should not be treated. But we do watch. In most instances, and we, we we call it active surveillance because you're doing something. You want to find it if it becomes more aggressive so that you can treat it then. You're constantly keeping yes. well, surveillance. Yes. That's yes. what it is. Yes. It's surveillance. Yes. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. I just want to find out, what made you want to become an, an oncologist? That's also a difficult question. Really? <laughs> I um, had an interest and after medical school, I also had an interest in a completely different area, which was trauma. So I did a bit of trauma as I felt that our undergraduate training doesn't prepare you for emergency situations. Most things you can go read up in a textbook, but if you have an ill patient in front of you in that moment, you don't have time to go ask a friend. Yeah. So I did a year of trauma at the Gen, which was amazing and it was a brilliant experience. Fantastic but hospital. It, it, and um, and but what I did find is that I didn't build relationships with patients or their families because they're in and out. They yeah. come in and they leave again, and they go off to the to the ward and to the different surgeons. And then I spent some time in oncology unit, and I just loved it. And I loved interacting with the patient and interacting with the families, and, and I just enjoy which, speaking yeah. with them. And the, I think everyone's got their place in life, and this is mine. And you still do two? You do two um, stints at two at, mornings at, at the gen in yeah. the radiation department. Yes, and I enjoy the patients, and I enjoy the teaching of the registrars. So I enjoy the academic setting. That's fantastic. Thank you for making time to share your knowledge with us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Marisa Tanmer, she's an oncologist. She practices at the Vitz Donald Gordon Medical Center. And uh, we've been talking about prostate cancer. This program will be available for podcast this afternoon. You can get it at highfm.com. Play it for the man in your life and to the men listening to this. You know what, maybe you want to live with your head in the sand and it's unpleasant and nobody wants to know and nobody wants to check, but there are people who truly love you. There are people who, to whom you are the world. Go and get it checked out, if not for yourself, for them. And on that note, I wish you so long. I will see you same time, same place next week. I oh, know I won't see you next week. It is Rosh Hashanah, but uh, God bless. Stay well and we'll speak soon. Bye. 
Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care.